0: You yeah, know, I've, t- I've talked about that idea on here before where that moment when you know what somebody's trying to do, whether it's a person, a movie, I mean, an advertisement, I mean, the nice thing about advertisements is usually they're so obvious that it's, there's no question what they're trying to do. I think that's why it's more insulting when you're watching a movie or reading a comic book, reading a book, reading a book and you realize that they're trying to like send you a message like i think there's something even though commercials are you know among the most annoying things you could possibly experience there's something almost pure about them (laughs) it's true (laughs) i took a little hit of weed a little bit ago and i was kind of freaking out because i'm not smoking much at all i just took a little hit and like just saying that Just saying that out loud, though, it's, it's so true. That uh, like, there is something pure about commercials where, like, at the very least, you know what they're trying to do. And they're not really trying to hide that from you, except when they are. Like, during football season, I don't know if they're still doing it, but there was this commercial that was made to look exactly like the real game. And it even had the actual announcers that were in the game. And they act like real announcers because they're already fake. You know, the, the commentators and announcers in a football game are already acting like fake people. They're not talking like real human beings. It's like obviously. So that lends itself to doing a fake commercial where the same announcers are talking, and then they all of a sudden they go, "Oh, what's he doing on the field? Is does he have a bottle of Clorox? You know, it's like something like that." And it tricks you. Like, I mean, it it was incredibly effective because it just seemed so seamless from what you were actually watching. And it wasn't done in the game. It wasn't like they were doing an ad read while they were commentating. This was something that was obviously shot weeks, months beforehand. But so they try to do things like that. Like, obviously, there's something chameleon-like where advertisements and commercials do try to hide what they are. I'm not saying they don't do that. But I would say like 90% of the time, when you see a commercial or you see an advertisement for something, you know that's what they're trying to do. And they're not really trying to hide that from you. They might be trying to do something clever. They might be, obviously, they're trying to do something to make it attractive to you or to catch your eye. But there's also a purity in it because it's like, it's an advertisement that knows it's trying to sell you something. And they don't, the people who are doing that don't necessarily feel like they're good people for it. They might not care that, you know, they might not think it makes them a bad person, but most people who are in marketing selling a product for money don't pat themselves on the back and say, oh man, I'm being a good person by selling that. They don't think it's ethically good necessarily to sell what they're selling. They might even like it or believe in it but it's not like something that they believe makes them a good person, it's something that they believe makes them money and that's why they like it. So it bothers me more when a message or a moral is buried in something else that's not an advertisement. You know, when you're watching something that's a movie and uh, or I used the example of that comic book, that kind of new, newish, sci-fi comic book where it was obviously trying to send a blatant socio-political message to the point where it was there was no subtlety they didn't even try to work it into the story in an interesting way it was just the most blatant in-your-face attempt to be progressive that bothers me more than even an advertisement because it is an advertisement but the person thinks that they're doing something good they think they're doing something right And so that makes them worse in some way to me than just an ad salesman or a marketing person who's like, let's put this in here because it'll sell. It's the person who's saying, oh, I want to sell this idea because it makes you a good person if you follow this idea. You know, that bothers me much more because of the self-righteousness to it. If there's one good thing I can say about marketing, it is generally not self-righteous if they're just selling a product for money. They might convince you that you're more righteous for buying it, but it's like they're not trying to be self-righteous themselves. They're just trying to sell you something. So uh, with advertising, or what was I gonna say? Um, I mean, and that's something people do as well, and it always removes me from the element. Like anytime I sense something doing that, I mean, that's one thing that advertising a product And advertising an idea or trying to to convince you of something, those are two things that make me feel the same way no matter what anyway, where they take me out of it. It's why product placement in a movie takes you out of the movie because you're like, oh, they're trying to sell me something in this movie that's a story I'm trying to be immersed in and that sucks. Now I'm thinking about this product and now I'm actually questioning the entire movie. That's kind of what it's like when someone tries to make an ideological or a social or a political point—a heavy-handed one. Because obviously, storytelling—I'm, you know, I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot, and storytelling is obviously a way to share an idea. I'm not saying you should never bury something in there and have, you know, this sort of—you know—it's part of telling a story, of course. And you're you're inevitably going to have something like that in a story. But for me, it's when it's naked. For me, it's when it's naked. That's exactly it, though. That's why a product... That's why blatant product placement... It's too naked. You could have people go to the mall and get an Orange Julius. And that's probably going to make the viewer go, Oh, that that Orange Julius sure looks good. I think I might get one after I leave. You know, it might have that effect. But it might not bother you because the characters are doing something that characters would do they're they're gonna go real teenagers are gonna go to the mall and get an orange Julius so it's not like it really takes you out of the movie like, when you watch the movie Falling Down and he goes into McDonald's or wherever... It's not like you're sitting there being like, oh, God, this is product... <laughs> this is product placement. Like, the movie... When you watch the movie Falling Down, you don't get the feeling at any point that that something is product placement. No matter... It doesn't matter if he goes to McDonald's. But with, um... Uh, you know, an idea... Like, when an idea feels like product placement... That's just this awful feeling, and then, and then too, when you just know what they're trying to do, like for example, I saw those Spider-Man movies. That, or I saw a Spider-Man movie. I know there were multiple. I don't want to. I don't want to lie and pretend that I saw more Spider-Man movies than I actually saw. No, but I saw that Spider-Man movie that came out with uh, Toby. Uh, you know, Toby. I don't know. I can't remember his last name, but Toby, old Toby. I saw the one with Toby. <laughs> and uh, I liked it actually when that came out I don't I must have been in high school maybe maybe I was in junior high I don't know but about 20 years ago and I liked it I thought it was good for what it was and then about 10 years later they came out with these new Spider-Man movies I think like the rights had been sold to something else and I was at a childhood friend's house visiting him and we were drinking after those came out and he was like he for some reason he had that I don't know if he rented it, I don't know if he bought it, but he had the new, new Spider-Man. And he was like, oh, it's actually pretty good, let's watch it. And I was wasted, might have been high as well, I was at least drunk, too drunk, like ready to, ready to pass out drunk. And so it was just the last thing I saw on this couch as my eyes just kind of you know, flickered in and out of reality. And the last thing I remember is that he's trying to learn how to make a suit. Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Peter, Pete, our boy Pete, he's trying to learn how to make a, his Spider-Man suit, and he, instead of, you know, he, of course, so he, because this movie came out in, like, the early 2010s, what's he gonna do? Oh, he, he Googles it, oh, dude, he Googles it, except instead of having Google, he binged it, like, it, it showed the screen. Like, there's a scene where he's he's Googling, like, how to make a Spider-Man suit or how to make a, a suit. And it zooms in and shows just the, the screen of his computer, and it's Bing, which nobody uses. That's always been the joke. Like, I don't even think it's around anymore. I don't even think Bing is around anymore. And, you know, nobody used Bing. And so it was obviously product placement. The only reason to have a character in a movie search on Bing and to have the entire frame show that is product placement. And that just immediately, I mean, I was passing out anyway, but I mean, that might have been the switch that got flicked that just turned my eyes off, you know, for the rest of the night. Like, that might as well have been just the thing that tuned me out completely. It's just, it's so obvious. You're going to show Bing. It's not like I wanted to see Google. Just to be clear, it's not like I wanted to see them zoom in on Google, but the fact that it just showed Bing and it was just such a blatant advertisement and just so stupid. And it's one of those things where you don't even need to show it. You don't even need to show him typing it in. Like, just have his back, like, at a computer screen. It's it's a stupid scene in general. Like, oh, dude, it's modern Spider-Man. Let's have him Google how to make a Spider-Man suit. You know, it's one of those things that's trying to be forcefully modern anyway. And then you throw in a a Bing logo. It zooms in on the Bing logo pretty much. It's just, it, it takes you out of it. It just takes you out of it. So it's that way with any kind of message, and like, yeah, like I was saying, like, I'm not an idiot, like, of course, stories have a message, of course, there's a moral, sometimes there's a political subtext, actually, some very great stories have involved that. Some incredible stories have involved sort of a political subtext to it, but that's exactly what it is, it's kind of, even if it's about politics, or even if it's about a certain event the message should still be kind of subliminal or it should still be kind of under the surface a little bit, in my opinion. When it's right up out front, you're just like, what's even the point? You know, what's even the point of watching this? And, of course, more and more things have gotten that way, though. You know, more and more things have kind of started putting it all out front. And that's what makes them so hard to deal with. You know, there's... Every year, the town I live in has this all-night Halloween movie showing in the local theater. There's a local—I guess you'd call it an independent theater. I guess—I guess you'd call it an independent theater. I guess you'd call it that. Um, yeah, they, they have this independent theater, and it, every Halloween or around Halloween time—I don't know if it's Halloween night or just around then—they have a thing where, like, you can go there and pay a fee and watch horror movies all night. It's, it's an all-night affair. And they just show one after the... I've never done it. It's it's the last thing I would ever want to do, to be honest. As I've mentioned on here before, I somehow never got into horror movies. Like, I think Halloween is a really cool movie. I, there's a few others that I've seen. Like, it's not like I've when I've seen classic horror movies, I'm like, this sucks. I'm just not really into it. And I guess it's... I'm not really a movie guy to begin with, so... I'm not a movie guy, I'm not particularly into horror movies, so that's just kind of how I am. It's kind of surprising, though, because, like, every friend I've ever had is a horror movie fanatic. Um, But, so anyway, I've never actually been to this thing where they show horror movies all night, but I saw people complaining, like, even people I know who are um, pretty far left, like, I would consider them, like, people who, you know... Sort of half joke about being socialists and stuff. You know, I'm talking like there's a lot of people who do that kind of thing. Like they kind of joke about being commies, but they really do believe in that sort of stuff. And I don't mind those people. You know, I mean, I'm not into communism, I'm not into socialism, but those people are pretty. I find those people pretty easy to get along with. Like they just kind of, they kind of joke about the idea of it, but they agree with it. But it's the not taking it seriously thing that makes those people tolerable. And I would hope that whether they agree with me or disagree with me, that's how they feel about my politics. Like they're all a big fucking joke to me too. And if we disagree about something that's ultimately a big fucking joke to us, that seems like an even bigger and better joke. But anyway, so it's like people I know who are definitely definitely on the left, but I saw where even they were upset this year that this theater is just, it's it's apparently showing like only female made horror movies this year. It's like an all women's, and and there's so many things like that going on right now. It's like, why not save it for next year? And that's kind of what I mean when I say like, you know, making everything so obvious, Making the message so clear and doing it at the same time that everybody else is, because what's funny about this particular horror movie night, everybody ever, I have ever known who has gone to this thing is a lib. Everybody I've ever known who's you know gone to this thing is on the left, like like far on the left, and that goes for most horror movie fans I've ever known too. You know, it's just and I'm, not that I politicized everybody. It's not like I meet a horror movie fan and I'm like, is this person on the left or the right? Are they a libertarian or are they a communist? <laughs> it's not like I evaluate people based on that. But I'm just saying, just just because I'm talking about them needing to make this social political message part of this horror movie night. It's like the audience who's already going there, like tons of women, like the only person who ever asked me to go to it was a girlfriend and we didn't end up going, thank God, because the last thing I want to do is watch movies all night. Last thing I want to do is watch horror movies all night. You know, the idea of, I can barely watch one movie. I can barely watch one movie a year, let alone all night. But it's, it's, I don't know. I, I've always known this thing to be really popular with women already. I've already, I've always known it to be very, I don't know. It's it's just one of those things where it's, it's like, it's just, it, it it's everything now. And I'm not, I didn't even mean to go on this whole thing. Like, can you believe it? They're doing another, blah, blah. I don't even mean to, can you believe it? There's another thing happening in the culture war that's been going on for years. Oh, can you believe it? No, I can. And I'm just pointing it out though, because it's just, it's got to feel kind of dirty to do right now. It's got to feel kind of dirty in this time where every single person is making that their platform not putting that on that platform, making that their platform. In a time where every single person is doing that, like the person who comes up with that idea, who says, why don't we show all female-directed horror movies this year? And the people I know who are obsessed with horror movies, like including my friend who's a massive collector, he's like, he's been in documentaries for his collection and everything. It's like, he was like, they, they didn't even choose good ones. Like there's way better female-directed horror movies in these and he would know and he'd be a fan of them i mean he's he he, he he he's like he's like a feminist you know what i mean he's he's like he's like one of those guys uh, you know and I, I don't mean that in a, a negative way either i'm just saying like he's one of those guys it's like this guy's got nothing against female directed horror movies but he was just pointing it because he has because he has actual and that's kind of my point this fits this is actually this point that i've been making is that I think like the reason a lot of people, like it's not just that they're forcing a message on you, it's that they, they force crap. Crap. Like they force a message, but it's like they think that forcing that message with crap is going to make people like it. It's not like they're forcing a message with something good. It's that they always are like, here's some crap with a message. You better like it. And that's why I always ask, like, do these people actually have taste? Because these are the same people that when you have taste and when your taste might be in something that's controversial, like you like something that has an element of controversy, whatever, whatever is controversial at the time, you like something and there's something controversial about it. And that's a problem to them because they can't comprehend the idea that you might like something for one of any number of reasons for you know just an endless number of reasons that could potentially attract somebody to something like i always go with morrissey because it's like still like kind of a novelty to me i've only been a morrissey fan for like four or five years five six years i'm not a lifelong morrissey fan i never saw myself being a fan but just that he's such a controversial figure now and the, you could conceivably, I mean, this isn't insane. I've been sitting down, like, when I still drank, I was at a bar where people were talking about, like, the Morrissey controversy. Like, this is something people talk about. I, I told you, like, one of my, you, told you, uh, how, like, one of my best friends walked out of a Morrissey, Morrissey show because of comments he made about Brexit. And my friend's an American, and I love my friend, and hes he's one of the smartest people I know, but... He didn't like what Morrissey said about Brexit, so he walked out. That's his right. That doesn't make me think less of my friend because I didn't know my friend felt so strongly about Brexit, being an American. I I guess I just didn't know that about him. But he didn't like what Morrissey said about Brexit, so he walked out. And I guess when Morrissey made comments about Brexit on stage, I guess he knew some people wouldn't like it. But what I was going to say is, is like somebody might say, and we live in this world where it's like, you shouldn't listen to Morrissey because of his views on blah, blah, blah. Did you know Morrissey said blah, blah, blah? Dude, how can you listen to the Smiths because Morrissey said blah, blah, blah. And the idea that they even know why you would be into that. Or the idea that artists shouldn't be controversial. If they can't be controversial. You know... That argument is so thin and so stupid. And I mean, it's like you lose the game by even trying to justify it is what I've realized. Like if somebody was to say, why would you listen to the Smiths when Morrissey is a racist? Why would you listen to Morrissey the racist? You know, when someone feels that way, like you lose the game by being like, well, I like the guitar. The reason I like the this is Smiths is because I like the guitar. Well, they write really catchy songs. Oh, I like his lyrics. I like that he's a racist. I like I like that he's a ra- racist. You know, <laughs> that's what you say in response to them. Like, oh, I, I You know what? I didn't become a fan of Morrissey until I found out he was a racist. You just throw it back in their face. Give it the dumbest possible statement. And I mean, I'm arguing with a phantom here. I know that. I know that I'm, this is a, a theoretical phantom conversation. But it is one of those things where it's like, you don't want to play. It's what I've been saying over and over again of like, you don't want to get sucked into the logic game. You don't want to get sucked, even though that's normally the way to do things. Like, normally the Socratic method is the way to do things. But you lose that game with that person. When you go, well, I I listen to the Smiths because I just, I like the guitar. And and sometimes the lyrics are just really unique and interesting. And I think his voice is really uh, interesting. Uh, You're not going to ruin my life because I like Morrissey, are you? That's basically what you're doing, though. You know, when you try to engage in that game and try to explain it. And I don't even know if people are, are making that big of a deal out of him. But I've heard it. I've heard it in person. Like I just said, one of my best friends walked out of a Morrissey show. It's crazy for me to say that, but it's true. And it's, his, and I, and I, it's, it's crazy I, to a lot of people that that doesn't bother me that I respect him for it and I, I love him. So I'm not going to judge him for him having an opinion because, you know, he wouldn't judge me. That's what having a friend is. It means you don't judge somebody because they took a stand on something you don't agree with. Hopefully, my friendship with people isn't based on that alone. If that was part of a pattern of behavior where he was doing that to me, it'd be different because I know people like that. There are people who I've deliberately but slowly cut out of my life because they're the sort of people, especially in our current climate, where if you say something that they don't agree with, they like put you on blast online. And that's not even saying like the weird little dark gossipy group chats and message channels that I found out they have, you know, it's sick shit that people are into. Not that I've been the subject of any of that, but you find, I found out that stuff exists. Like I'm, I'm pretty, I would say I'm, I'm not naive, but I guess I'm kind of innocent because I, you know, that stuff exists. People, people are just frying each other behind the scenes and you don't even know it. (laughs) they have people locked into the electric chair behind the scenes and they're just frying their reputations. Like, like that's something to remember with the whole like quote unquote cancel culture thing is like, you're only seeing part of it. Like you're only seeing the stuff that's public with well-known people. Most of the other stuff you're not seeing. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And that's not, I'm not making that up. I've personally been aware of it. So, that's what's going on. That's what people don't understand. Like, whenever people get into these, like, just can't... Because I hate the phrase cancel culture, obviously. Just call it what it is. Like, censorships and slander and an attempt to ruin somebody's life. Just call it what it is. But I personally come to know that this shit, people, like... There's really nasty people with group chats who, who do this shit, man. And there's probably no surprise to anybody. I guess that's what I, that's why I say that I'm maybe I'm a little bit innocent, but I'm not naive. Um, but anyway, I didn't unleash some of this culture war stuff. But but no, I think a lot of this does come back to the taste thing, where it's like I like certain things. And if you don't like that, you can't possibly understand what makes me like it. And you have no right to assume why I like it. And if you're crazy enough to attack me for the things that I like, or to even just question them at all, no amount of logic is going to get me out of that. Even if I do find the right words to convince somebody otherwise, it's like I lose by doing that. By being like, oh, you know, I like the beat. i I just like the beat i like the art i like the album artwork you know you lose the second you say that but it does come back to this thing like the sort of person who does that must not understand what it is to actually have taste in something like taste must just truly be a way to signal what you think is upstanding and right but the way you're going about it, the way that person is going about it, just proves they don't truly believe it's upstanding and right. They're doing it to get approval from other people who think like that. And it feels good to get approval approval from other people at the expense of somebody. So that's what that is. And... Uh, going back to this thing which i have no real opinion on i wouldn't even be able to tell you what a good horror movie is i like halloween saw halloween and i liked it a long time ago but i wouldn't be able to tell you what a good horror movie is now you know i wouldn't be able to tell you what a good female directed horror movie is but like my friend was saying it's like they didn't even pick good ones and a bunch of people i saw were saying were just like commenting like can you believe this can you believe how shitty this is? And I can, because that's what everything is doing. Everything is trying to do this in its own way, and it comes from people who don't seem to have taste in how they're doing it. Like, there are so many women who do good things, if you didn't know. If you didn't know that I know that, now you know. If you, you, have, if you haven't heard me talk at length about Dolly Parton, now you know. But I'm not going to like something that's shitty. And if I'm told, well, it's female directed, I'm not going to like that. And I'm not going to pretend to like it because I don't laugh at commercials either. I don't laugh at TV commercials. One, because they never genuinely make me laugh. I can sense what they are. Before I even even know it's a commercial, I can sense it. I can smell it. And I'm not going to laugh at it. And even though they never make me laugh, I won't laugh out of principle either. And it's the same thing with this stuff. The second I know what you're trying to do, I can't possibly genuinely get into it. I mean, it's a version of like Toby Keith's 9-11 songs or whatever. It's too obvious. And people used to make fun of that stuff. You know, people used to make fun of the way New Country became kind of the anthem of like that post-9-11 period. And they're doing the exact same thing. And I don't. It might just be my own personal taste, but I think it's a little more embarrassing now because they know better. Like the people who were blasting Toby Keith in their Ford two fifty in like March of two thousand, March of two thousand two. That person to me, like you know was living in a in a more pure world at that time like we know too much now we know way too much now and so i think that makes it that much more annoying and more and that much more obvious when we know what somebody's trying to do and it's not pure So I couldn't care less about the horror movie night. It's not my thing. I would, I would never go to it. I would never want to spend all night in a theater under any conditions. You could have the best female-directed movies in the world. You have the best female-directed movies in the world. And I still wouldn't want to be there just because I wouldn't want to be in that place for that long for any amount of time. And it just comes back to the thing though, of doing it all now. Doing it all right now, because I'm the kind of person, this this might just be naturally how I am, maybe it's a rebelliousness, maybe it's oppositional defiance, but when I see everybody doing something, if it's something I really want to do even, and I'm going to do it no matter what, sometimes I think, you know, maybe I'll wait a little bit, maybe I'll wait a little bit, I'll feel a little bit better about it if I wait, Not, you know, that might just be an ego thing, I don't know. I mean, it's the same thing for opinions, like more and more I realize, like if somebody says something that I agree with, and it doesn't need me to like, you know, put it on a pedestal or like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like, if somebody says something I agree with, more and more I think, that's awesome, now I don't have to say it. That person said that thing that I agree with, and that now I'm off the hook. Now, I don't have to be the one to say it. They destroyed that empty space, so I didn't have to. And I can just go, yep. And, you know, there's a time and a place to kind of support that person or to add to what they're saying or even to echo them. You know, I think there are situations where someone says something that's controversial that shouldn't be or, like I like to say, isn't. Because a lot of things that get called controversial are not controversial now. They're getting called controversial, but you can't even... I don't even accept the legitimacy of calling some of these things controversial because they're not. But these things that get accused of being controversial, I think there's a time and a place to echo what that person's saying or to lend them support because they need it, because the idea needs it. There are so many other things that you want to say that don't actually matter, but you just want to say them because we're human beings and we like to have opinions. But you hear somebody else say it and rather than going, because when I was younger, I used to go, I wanted to say that. That was a bad voice. I wanted to say that. I wanted to say that. Like you feel like a jewel was taken from you. It happens with jokes all the time. Like sometimes, you know, that's that's one of the crazy things about the internet is like you can think of a clever joke and there's such a high chance that somebody else has made it and you can verify that. But that takes all the juice out of it. Like let's say you come up with a funny joke and you look it up and you find that nobody's ever made that joke. The fact that you looked it up took some of the juice out. So that is one of the nice things about the pre-internet world is if you just thought of a joke by yourself... Even if it's an obvious joke, you could make it and not feel like you were plagiarizing somebody or not get accused of plagiarizing somebody. But now if you make a joke online and it's coming from a pure place, it's just it's your own response to something. It's your own little idea. Like if somebody else already said that and it's already made its rounds, you look like you're just ripping somebody off. You know, it's, it's just it's changed that for sure. But it's also made people get funnier. Like that happened to me where... Um, like, once or twice, I posted a photo of, I think it was my cat. I think it was Rosie or something. And I was just like, does Does anybody know, like, what kind of animal this is? It just seemed like an obvious joke to make. And it wasn't like anybody said anything. People just, you know, like, it was a picture of my cat. And the people who like cats, I guess, liked it. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, like, years later, I found out that that was, like, a Borat joke. And I'd never seen Borat you know i'd never I, I'd, I'd never seen bora and from my understanding in that movie he apparently i think he picks up an animal and says like what kind of what kind of dog is this i think there's some somehow i i got wind of that cuz i started to see other people making a very similar joke and then i realized oh of course it's from something cuz that's what happens like if you see enough people online make the same joke it's not just that they're all making the same joke there's a good chance it's a reference and referential humor man referential humor that's rough that's the hardest part about like working in an office or anything like that especially with a certain generation of people is the 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 amount of referential humor it's like you want to appreciate that people have a sense of humor but I mean, I've I worked at places where, like, all you hear every day are Anchorman quotes, and I've never seen Anchorman. I don't have a problem with Anchorman. I don't have a problem with Anchor, comma Man. I don't have a problem with Anchor Man. Uh, I don't. I know. I, I, don't, I don't even. I've never seen it, so it's not a point of reference I even know. But cultural osmosis teaches us all many things, and I eventually was able to figure out, like, oh, they're referencing Anchorman and The Office and Parks and Rec, I started to realize that all these things that I thought were really weird jokes, because that's what happens with stuff like that, is like if you're not in on, you know, and I'm not talking shit about any of that stuff, I just want to make that clear, I'm, I don't give a shit, you know, I, I don't I don't dislike it, I've just, I, it's not my thing and I've never seen it, but you know, when people make those sorts of references from shows like that, movies, if I've never seen it, like I'll just think, whoa, that's weird, like, I remember the first time, it just made me think, like, the first workplace I, where people first started getting smartphones, it was where, like, maybe two people in the entire office had smartphones, and I remember this coworker of mine, she was, like, a middle-aged lady, and she was showing me her new smartphone, because that's what you do, you show off your new smartphone, and she was like, yeah, this is it's an Android, and I laughed, because I thought she was making a joke. I fake laughed. I did what you do when you co- when you think your coworker is making a joke, and I fake laughed. But she stayed serious, and like I was like I, I didn't know, like I didn't really understand the exchange. And it wasn't until later that I found out that oh, an Android is the name of the phone. It's the model of phone, whatever. I have I have an, I have an Android. I've only ever had an Android, but it just, it was still new to me. So like, I didn't know enough. Like I had never looked into smartphones. They were brand new. And I just thought she was making a joke. I thought, I thought she was just like, I thought she was making a technology joke. Like I thought she was like, yeah, I have this crazy new technological device. It's kind of like an Android. It's kind of like a robot. That's kind of what I thought she was doing. Like just kind of a funny little joke But she wasn't joking, and I realized, oh, that's just the name of it. There's no sense of humor here. Um, But uh, that's kind of what it's like with references and stuff, too, where people make references, and I'm just like, now I just know. Like, now I just know that that's what people do. Like, same thing with the internet. Like, on the rare occasion that you go to a true abyss, on those rare occasions when you find yourself at, like, a true online abyss like sites like Reddit, that to me, that's just like, it's one of the most abysmal places you could ever take yourself. But some, but because it's so pervasive and there's so much information there that's like sometimes you click on a link that takes you there. But yeah, Reddit, the Reddit abyss is what I would call it. But like if you do go there and look at the comments, like every single comment is, is a quote from a show and then somebody else responds with another quote from that show... You know, it's just, uh, like, I didn't know, you know, for example, like, a newer show that I really liked was Silicon Valley, but I didn't see it until, like, a couple years ago. I saw it in, like, 2019, and so I wouldn't have gotten any of the references, and I remember for years, like, I, I used to see this comment online, like, everywhere I would go, I would see this comment where, if there was a picture of a guy who looked like a badass or something, or just a guy, like, people would respond with, this guy fucks. And it seemed like an organic enough joke. You know, like I have to imagine that like sometimes people come up with their own jokes. But I started to see it everywhere and I eventually was like, this must be a reference to something. Like people don't repeat a joke this much. Normal people don't repeat a joke this much unless it's a reference to something. And then sure enough, when I was watching Silicon Valley, there's a scene where this guy like, you know, this like cheesy business dude is like, this guy fucks about the nerdy guy. And it is funny. Like, seeing it on Silicon Valley, like, I thought it was funny, but it's that sort of thing that just, it becomes this phrase that you just, it just echoes throughout the internet. It echoes throughout offices. I mean, in offices, they're not saying, this guy fucks. Although, some offices they are, you know, some offices for sure. But just seeing that play out, it's, it, I find it a certain form of madness for sure. Like, it feels like something ricocheting. Like, I get this sort of, I don't know if you call it synesthesia. But when people in an office or a you know a small group of people are just making like references to certain TV shows, it feels to me like a rubber ball bouncing across everybody's heads and it kind of feels like getting hit with a rubber ball. You know, it's not painful. It's like a very soft rubber rubber ball. But that's what those kind of references are like. It's like somebody just lobbing a rubber ball at your head and it bounces off and hits somebody else and you're just supposed to be like, This is not insane. This is this is totally great. But yeah, references are that way for me. I just generally don't know what they are. And so they sound very weird when I first hear them because I'm like, wow, that person came up with something weird. Because I appreciate that. Like even if something isn't funny, if you have a coworker or just somebody in your life and they say something that's just weird and you don't know whether it's a joke or something just came out of their mouth wrong, I always appreciate that. And so that's what it's like when somebody makes a sitcom joke at work. Is you you think like, whoa, that's weird. Whatever that said, whatever he just said is weird. Whatever she's saying is weird. And then you realize, oh no, that wasn't an organic joke. It was just some bullshit that everybody repeats. But that's I don't know. That's that's what you get though. I mean, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. It's it's not a concentration camp. I'd rather be surrounded by people who are quoting sitcoms than be in an internment camp <laughs> you know i mean obviously it's not the worst thing in the world although you know the worst thing in the world the worst thing in the world is being in an internment camp where everybody's making sitcom references but uh, you know with the way that uh just the way that things are so are being done so obviously and simultaneously and it's been going on for years of course But it's just like to be the person who's coming up with that idea and trying to pretend that you're being genuine. Like when whoever planned this horror movie night this year and said, let's have all female directors. Like the moment they made that suggestion, they probably felt this hint of rebelliousness combined with this hint of righteousness. But underneath that, there was probably no taste because it was just this hollow gesture of... Let's do that thing that everybody's doing to signal that there's a change taking place for the better. Let's let everybody know we're on the right side of. Let's let everybody know we're on the right side of. Did you just say that we're going to be on the right side of? That's what it is. That's what it is is to me. Like, that, that might as well be what you're saying. I like how that last one got kind of soft. I don't know what the compressor does. I don't know what the compressor does to my hisses. I don't even know what the compressor does to my hisses. But uh, the last one, I liked how it got kind of soft. Nothing like a nice soft hiss. You know, a soft hiss is almost scarier. Like, if you have to hiss at somebody. Like, I'm just imagining, uh, like, like, hiding in a bush. And, like, late at night, some couple who's been out on the town, they're walking by the bush, and you hiss at them. I think it's way worse if it's a soft hiss. Because if it's a loud hiss, it's just... I don't know. When you're aggressively hissing, I guess unless you're a cat, I don't know. I don't know how you can really do that. But a soft hiss from a man, something terrifying about that. (laughs) I'm kind of surprised people don't hiss more. I'm surprised that people don't hiss more. I'm surprised that men don't hiss more an unwritten rule there's two things they teach boys in a in a toxic masculinity society patriarchy and it's one boys don't cry and two boys don't hiss hissing is going to be a new part of this show just one long hiss the men are are learning how to communicate in hisses It's the only way they feel comfortable expressing themselves anymore. Excuse me, I only feel comfortable expressing myself in hisses. Did you say the misses? I said the hisses. When you call her the misses, you should call me the hisses. Oh... Yeah, another another culture war rant, but you gotta you gotta get them in. At this point, it's just like it's like routine maintenance or something. It's almost just like a way to communicate to people that you're not your brain isn't completely gone. I mean, a friend of mine even like I'm seeing little signs at least, like those guys that I know who are like quasi commies are upset about the see it, it, when it affects something you care about. That's how you get people. It's like in Lord of the Rings when uh, they recruit the Ents. And I don't remember if they have the meeting in the book. Or sorry, I don't remember if they have the meeting in the movie. They must. But in the book, it's very drawn out. Like in the book, you're, you have genuine like slow anxiety because the Ents, it takes forever for the Ents to meet to make. I mean, it, it takes them forever to even start the meeting. And there's something very urgent happening. And they don't really care what's happening to the rest of Middle Earth. And then it's it's when they see that the forest has been destroyed or part of the forest is being destroyed. That's when the ants get pissed because it's the thing that personally affects them. So seeing these guys I know who are kind of, you know, I wouldn't say they're, they're people who appreciate taste. That's the thing. Like, I know one of the guys and I talked about it where, like, he's pretty far left, but he doesn't like the whole, like, political correctness enforcement of art you know, he's not into that at all. So it's not terribly surprising, but it is good to see him just be like, you know what? Like, this is, these were my friends. You know, just like how the ant sees the trees that have been taken down and is like, these were my friends. Like, that's kind of what it's like with this guy, where it's like, he came for the horror movies. Those were my friends. And I've seen other little signs, like a friend of mine who was really like, Dan- practically dancing in the streets when Joe bin Biden stole the... Uh, when Joe bin Biden became the coolest guy ever. You know, it, it, one of my friends who was into Jobama bin Biden big... Like, I got a message from him the other day where he was kind of talking about the gender stuff. So people who really haven't been that bothered by all of these things either some of them are kind of coming around I think as they're having to go back into the world and encounter what how things really are right now in some places at least I think they're kind of like wait a second like I can't even just enjoy my all-night horror movie fest and I'm not sure what provoked my my other friend's comment but I mean it could be anything it's here that's that's kind of what I'm getting at is that it's like you look silly when you try to do everything at once you look silly when you try to do what everybody else is doing at the same time they're doing it and people will turn on that this stuff is so flimsy it will be easily turned on and the amount of effort they're putting into it is incredible If there's one aspect of it that I admire, it's just the level of effort. But you know why they're putting that level of effort onto it? Because it takes that level of effort to force such bullshit down everybody's throats all the time. It takes a ton of fucking effort because so many people see through it. So they pretty much have to be like laying on top of the blanket to keep you covered in it all the time. They have to work in shifts to keep that blanket on you. And so on one hand, I admire the effort. I admire the, the, the sheer level of force that they're trying to, you know, put into this. But the only reason they're putting that effort and force is because they know that it is so flimsy that it will just blow away in the wind. Because it, that's what's happened time and time again. That's why we have some of the understandings we have. When you're trying to cover up the truth so hard, it's because you know very well that anything except the truth is just fundamentally flimsy. And that's what it is. And that's another reason why I don't see the point in engaging in some, you know, Socratic method logic debate with people like that anymore. Not that I ever really did, but just why I would not even think of engaging in it now is because I think what I recognize is so true that that will be enough of an argument. And all it's going to take is just people getting so tired of trying to cover it up, of trying to force their will, that all it's going to take is just them getting tired. And why make myself tired trying to fight that? Like, if you want to cover up reality, if you want to cover up the truth, be my guest. People have tried that so many times. People are always trying that. Just watch a liar. Watch a liar fall apart. That's a children's song that I wrote. Now, I have a a philosophy on liars, and I've learned it's it's more and more true with time. I mean, it's something I've only actually realized in the last few years. It's that, you know... Basically, when it comes to a liar, if you don't overcommit to them and don't buy into what they're trying to push on you immediately, all you have to do is let a, a liar sit for long enough and everything will eventually come out. Liars have a very difficult time just sitting still or they get away from you. Like I've definitely run into liars in my life before and if they're serious enough, like if they're pathological enough, if they're manipulative enough... Whether they know it or not, they have a sense for what they're doing. And when they realize that they're not going to get over on you, when they realize that you're going to be patient and not overcommit to whatever it is they're, they're all about, they usually go the fuck away. They usually go somewhere else because they're like, oh, it's, it's like what they say about prison. And I've never been to prison, but I've seen enough prison documentaries And in prison documentaries, like, the guys are always, like, basically, all you have to do is, like, fight once. As long as it's not, like, Rikers Island or some, like, insane place. But they're always, like, all you have to do is fight back once. And even if you get your ass kicked, all you have to do is, like, put up a fight once. And I'm not even talking about rape or anything like that. I'm just talking about people messing with you in prison. Like, you fight once, and then you just communicate that it's going to be a struggle to bother you. And that often does the trick. It often does something good for you that's kind of what it's like with liars, where like in prison, you just, you communicate to bullies or rapists, let's, everybody loves talking about prison rape, so I'll just give the people what they want, um, but anybody who's bothering you in prison, that's what they always say, it's like, just put up a fight, and then, I mean, they say that about bullies on the schoolyard, my band, bullies on the schoolyard, that's my new band, Uh <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's what they say about bullies in the schoolyard too. It's like basically like the day that you push back, that you give them hell back is like the day they stop because they don't actually want a fight. Most people who bully, most people who, who you know, want to give you shit and terrorize you, they're not actually looking for a fight. If they were looking for a fair fight, they wouldn't be doing it that way. So if you give them hell back, they, that communicates to them, oh, this is going to be a struggle. This isn't what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to be challenged. And so that's like the prison idea, it's the schoolyard bully, but it's also, it's, lying kind of works the same way, where people who are very manipulative and try to get something out of you, or get you to do something, they're not trying to bully you, but it is kind of a form of bullying. Lying is kind of like, it's it's a way of um, controlling somebody else, like, you could say bullying is that. You could say malignant, because I do, on the show, I do make a distinction between healthy bullying. A good old healthy bully. No, there's there's healthy bullying that I think we need to go through. We need to do it to people and we need to receive it. And that's what I hate about these anti-bullying campaigns is it doesn't make a distinction between the very necessary, sometimes frustrating, but very necessary bullying that we all need to go through as kids. It's necessary to be a fully formed human being to get bullied a little bit and to do a little bullying. It's what we call getting bullied a little bit and doing a little bullying. But, uh, you know, so it's like, I don't like that they don't make a distinction between, like, the severity. It's like, kids need to have a little healthy bullying in their life. But, you know, the more malignant side of bullying, it's obviously about control, as so many things are. I mean, that, that sounds like a psych 101 cliche. Like, bullying is about control. Obviously, it is. So is lying. Lying is about controlling people, too. And that's what I'm getting at when I say like, and and I mean, people in prison who are trying to mess with you, they're trying to control you. And so what I'm getting at here is just that anytime somebody is trying to control you, and they realize that it's going to be a difficult process, that it's going to be a struggle for them to actually do that, they often get the fuck away. They often don't wanna do it anymore because people like that, people who are looking to control people, they're not looking for a challenge necessarily. Maybe if they're really sick and advanced, maybe if they're really truly reptilian, they like a challenge like that. But most people don't. Most people who are doing that are not strong enough to want that. They're not, and they're not that—they're not sick enough to want that. Because that's the thing is a lot of these people, you know, you, you meet them in your life and they don't seem insane but you start to realize that they weave a very tangled web. And fortunately, I haven't known that many, but I have known some. And you basically just, if you don't overcommit, like if you, if you have even the slightest inkling that somebody is manipulative or a liar, just don't overcommit to whatever it is like, you know, because sometimes you meet people like that and they, they, they wanna start spending a lot of time with you. Like, they want to be your new best friend, or they want to date you, or they, they want to do something. They, they want your time. And they're, they're usually very flattering. And if you commit to that, like, you know, you signal to them that you might be manipulatable. And there was a girl I knew like this, and I'm not going to get into details, but... You know, she was into dark stuff... Like she was into dark music she was into kind of gothy stuff you know that i don't know I, i'm not going to go into detail but so it's not like she was pretending to be like some perfect little like preppy angel girl perfect little preppy angel girl <laughs> what do you think you are just some perfect little preppy angel girl you know but uh so <laughs> like she was trying to go for that but she did there was she kind of she got she was very good at seeming innocent and probably because there was something in, inside of her that was innocent, you know, like I, I, I came to find out that she had been through a lot of really awful traumatic stuff at a young age. And I don't even know the full extent of it, but I, there's a reason what sometimes why people, not always, but there's a reason sometimes why people are the way they are. And, uh, you know, I did kind of let my guard down, but I also, the situation was so weird and bizarre and dark But I didn't let it down completely. Like, I didn't let myself get hoodwinked. But she was really good at making herself seem kind of a victim of circumstance. Because that's usually a a manipulation technique. She made herself seem just like a victim of circumstance. She was fun. Very smart. But I started to—I kept my eyes open. And even though I was drinking heavily, I was drinking, like, all the time— and even then, though, it's like I, I kept my eye out. Like, I, I, got, I had a sense that, you know, something was off. And I, I knew like a, some, I, I knew some of her history. I knew she was kind of a mystery girl, but I knew some things about her that were definite red flags, to say the least. I knew that she kind of had weaved a tangled web for herself. But I didn't know how tangled it was, and I didn't know how willing she was to tangle it even more. And, uh, so I just kept my eye open. And then, you know, as, as time went by, like, fortunately things didn't get as bad as they could have. And I spent a lot of time with her during a a window of time. Like there were a couple months where she and I were spending a lot of time together, but I didn't, I never committed mentally. Like, even though like I, I was, I thought she was a lot of fun and it was a great time. I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all, actually. Uh, but it was dark and I knew it was dark and something about me, you know, kept me from over committing myself. Because I, I could kind of see how it unfolded and then sure enough, you just give like, this is what I'm getting at here. Sorry for the anecdote, the personal story. But what I'm getting at is just that if you give a liar and a manipulator enough time and don't over commit to whatever it is they're doing. If you don't buy in completely, they reveal themselves. They can't seem to help it if that's one of their main methods of operation is lying and manipulating, they can't seem to help showing it at some point. Because I think they all kind of have this almost death wish, maybe not a literal death wish, but I think like they, they do have a perverse, it's like they're bug chasers, where they a part of them wants to get caught, a part of them wants to, to have things come to a head. They're kind of seeking that. And then when things do come to a head, that's either an opportunity for them to really test out their ability to play innocent or it's a chance for them just to revel in the chaos and, and evil of it all. Um, sometimes both, but I've learned that too with, uh, for example, like this is a totally different subject, but during Corona the height of Corona a lot of former mob associates and mobsters started doing podcasts because they learned you could easily do it. They all have webcams and smartphones and Androids. And so they learned they could just easily make YouTube videos. And so a lot of them started doing that. And some of them ended up to be total frauds. Like I know the subject matter well enough to where I kind of know if somebody was actually who they say they are. Like talking to that guy, Michael, you know, he was a high ranking member of a New York crime family. Like He's, his story is well known and he's never lying. Like I would know if that guy was lying, you know, he, he cheated on his wife and had a second family, which is pretty typical of those guys. But I mean, like in terms of him giving me information. And just be, you know, just being friendly. Like, nothing he said has been manipulative. Nothing he said has been weird. He, he genuinely, he, he's a third-generation mafia member. And he really enjoys learning more about the history. And he enjoys sharing it, too. And everything he said can be verified. For example, he said that his grandfather went to Sicily with this guy. And that he was close to this guy from another city who is well-known, too. And there's no public information linking him and his grandfather with this guy. But he said, oh, my grandfather went to Sicily with this guy, like on basically official business, you know, at some point. I found the the manifest showing those two guys went to Sicily together in 1924. So, I mean, it's things like that that give somebody credibility. He told me his grandfather was friends with this, not super well-known, but still like a well-known mobster from Buffalo He told me they were friends. It's not really something that somebody would lie about. But I was able to find the ship manifest through a genealogy website showing that those two guys with the exact same ages, with the exact same addresses they really had, they're listed side by side. They went to Sicily together, and Michael heard this growing up. You know, his dad told him, like, oh, your, your dad... Or my dad your grandfather went to italy with this guy paul palmieri you know it's just one of those things and i'm able to find it so it's things like that that give somebody credibility and the guy's got no real motivation to lie because what you realize is like somebody who actually achieved something significant in a in a particular subculture or world like the mafia he doesn't need to lie because he was pretty much everything he could have ever wanted to be before he became a witness. You know, he pretty much reached the highest rank you could reach without being the boss. You know, he's that sort of guy. So you learn like, so even though this guy did lie, I mean, I, you know, even though I I go in with a degree of skepticism, even when you talk to a guy like that, you go in and you say, well, you know, I'm going to double check what he says, but he hasn't said anything wrong. He hasn't said anything off. So it's int- and, and that guy was a professional liar. The reason I'm bringing him up is because he was a professional liar for a good chunk of his life. As part of his life that he lived for 50 years, 40 years, he lied a lot to a lot of people. He was committing a lot of crimes. But in a certain context, I guess. But it's weirder when you meet somebody who is a personal liar. Like when they tell lies on a personal level. And you don't buy into him. And well, what I was going to get to with the mob guys on YouTube, and the reason I brought up this guy, Michael Di Leonardo, is because he, I mean, he doesn't have a podcast. Like, he's not, he doesn't put himself, you know, he doesn't put himself out there very much. He does some interviews, you know, he's talked to people like my historian friend and me. But he doesn't do a lot of out there stuff, you know, he's just, he just kind of enjoys talking about the world that he used to live in because he doesn't live in it anymore and he doesn't like that, you know, he... He he, misses, you know, honestly, the guy misses being part of that world because it was all he ever knew. But anyway, so it's like these guys who are doing mob podcasts, though, a lot of them were nobodies. A lot of them were just these associates and hangers on and they started out their shows and I, you know, this was the height of lockdown, the height of coronavirus and I ended up watching a lot of them and I was like, okay, these guys are interesting even though they don't really have that much to offer, just hearing their take on things, hearing about their lives, you know, oh, this guy was a drug dealer, this guy did this. But I also knew not to overcommit because these guys were low level guys and they they knew people, like all of that's verifiable. But I waited like a while and after a few months, you know, it, all it took was maybe a few months and you started to notice that they were saying stupid things, lies. Like one of the guys started to say, oh, you know, I, I was proposed for membership to be inducted into the mafia. Then uh, a month passes and he was like, oh, you know, I was uh, there were two different times I was proposed for membership. I could have been a member. It eventually got to where he was saying, and I'm not even kidding. It got to be where he was saying he had been like proposed to be a mafia member like three different times and his story just started getting more and more outrageous like he started to make himself more and more important there's another guy who was very close to the god named John Alight he was an Albanian so he couldn't become a mafia member and he, he's written a book and he's he's pretty well known I think he did commit a murder or two I think he did like he was a violent guy and everything but since he started doing this podcast and since he started talking out all the time, it's like only a matter of time passed. And all of a sudden, he's like saying he did like 100 murders. And you just go, you know, what makes you do that? I mean, I guess it's just being a pathological liar. But you give people enough time. And, that, and it's something that goes for personal relationships as much as it does just like watching somebody in interviews. Like if you don't feel right about somebody, just don't commit and give it a little bit of time and eventually like they start going haywire they start saying shit and it's especially true like i'm just using this example of the mob podcast because a lot of these guys who never became fully initiated members hate it like you can tell that it eats away at them that they never actually became fully initiated members of the mafia itself they were always like you know as they say like always bridesmaids never the bride And you can tell that that eats away at them because when a guy was an actual member, for one, it makes a lot lot of people way more interested in what that guy has to say. Like people like me are going to be way more interested in what that guy has to say if he was an actual member of the organization. Whereas if he was just an associate, it's like, well, you know, I can only listen to a guy talk about dealing drugs and beating people up so many times. But if a guy is a full-on member, he's going to talk to you about these, like, ranks and these relationships and, you know, all kinds of interesting meetings. You know, even if he was just a low-level member, just being a member at all gives somebody access to all kinds of other information that an associate doesn't have. And you can tell, like, with these guys, uh, it eats away at them. It, It really eats away at them that they never became members. Like speaking about the guy, Michael, who I know, Michael DiLeonardo, like with him, it's like you can tell it bothers him that he's not on the street anymore. You can tell it bothers him that he's no longer part of that. But you, you can tell that he's not bothered by like what could have been because he was a captain in a huge crime family. So it's like he he's not coming from the point of view of oh I never I never got to do what I wanted to do. He's coming from the point of view of oh I wish I could still do what I used to do. I don't know about crime wise. I know he runs successful businesses and stuff now. I don't know if he misses extorting construction contractors or whatever it is he did. I don't you know I don't know how much he probably misses it, but I don't know how much he truly does. He's getting older. But I can guarantee you like what he misses is like having that rank, going into clubs, going into restaurants. Like, I guarantee you he misses that. But he doesn't regret like not having reached that rank. Whereas with these other guys who have shows, they deeply regret the fact that they never became members. They never became captains. And then eventually they start bullshitting. Or initially, they'll pretend like, oh, I was tougher than all the actual members. There was a guy who was doing that. It's like, oh, I was actually... That's what a lot of them do, actually. I can think of three or four guys offhand who have shows. And all of them say, like, oh, well I was actually tougher. Like, I was the one who actually beat people up. I was the guy they would call when they needed somebody to do something. Yeah, you were the guy they called when they needed somebody to do something because you were an associate. You were a lower-ranking guy, and they're not going to do it themselves because they already gained rank that's the whole point of the system the whole point of the system is those guys don't have to beat people up anymore because they have rank so it's funny to hear these guys talk because they're like well you know i was the guy that beat everybody up i was the t- i could i all i needed was two guns and i would have been the boss it's like no nah, it doesn't work that way but you just give them enough time and they start saying stupid shit like that you just go okay I'm gonna watch these because that's, that's the approach I took. I was like I'm gonna watch these guys shows I'm gonna have them on in the background and I'm gonna watch and wait. And you know what there's a, there's a guy who was kind of a nobody. He was just like he was basically a teenager and a guy in his early 20s who got caught up in a murder but he was a he, you know he hung around the mob and he, he was part of like a, a street crew and everything. And he, he you know, because he was part of this murder at a very young age, he flipped and testified and now he's out. And you know what? He tells these little stories. He has a show. It's not very interesting to me, but he doesn't lie. Like, he's one of the guys who started one of these mob podcasts and he does not lie about anything. He tells you he was just this street kid who became a mafia associate at a young age and got hooked up with some dangerous, violent people. And he was dangerous and violent himself. But... He doesn't try to make it out to be more than it was. He's not like these other guys who is like, well, they were planning on making me a member. Or, well, you know what? I actually killed like 80 more guys than I told you I did last week. I just remembered that I killed 80 more guys. You know, it's like he's not doing shit like that. So that gives him credibility. Like, yeah, did he do some terrible things in life? Sure. Did he lie to people? Did he rob people? Yeah, sure. But it's like you watch his show and his show has been consistent. And that's all you look for. That's all you look for from a person. That goes for people you meet. Like watch and wait. And if it's the sort of person who pulls away from you, like if you meet somebody and they they like want something from you, even if it's just your time, because your time is something obviously. Like something that gets me is like, I'll know friends who are like texting with like somebody they, they just met or somebody who like they met on a dating app. And I, like, I don't think they realize how much time they're spending. And I mean, I, I, if, they, if that's what they want to do, they should do it. But I'm just saying, like, it's amazing how much time that takes. So you should never undervalue your time. So when you meet somebody and they want your time, even if that's all they want, don't overcommit. If you get a bad feeling or you're just not sure, don't overcommit. And eventually, if that person sticks around, you'll eventually see if they're a consistent person. You'll eventually see kind of what they're all about. And what's really weird is people overcommit romantically so much. That's actually the number one way that I see it. It's amazing that, like, people will be really leery about a new friend. Not leery, but they'll be be—they'll just be kind of reluctant to let that person into their life. But they'll meet somebody romantically and be like, Oh, did I, did I tell you, you know, we're moving in next week? And they just met. I'm just like, huh. It's interesting, like when the stakes are higher, you tend to move faster. And I guess that's just life. You know, it's like if there's an investment and the stakes are high, like you got to do it. You know, I don't know. But it always kind of trips me out when I see that because I'm like, whoa, it's funny that like when the stakes are really high, you do that really quickly. And that seems to be where people get lied to the most. Like, I don't think that many people meet liars. I don't think that many people get lied to in platonic friendships. Like, I know, speaking for myself, like, I don't even know, like, I can I can barely tell you how many times somebody has tried to be my friend to manipulate me or lie to me or something. I can't even tell you. I, I can't even think of any but yet romantically it happens way more often for some reason maybe because there is this gamble to it maybe because it is this kind of high stakes thing but it's interesting to me that that tends to happen that people tend to and that that's when i listen to friends who talk about like failed romances and stuff because of lies and all of that they're always talking about romance like very rarely are they talking about a friend like very rarely does somebody say to me oh yeah you know like I've been hanging out with that guy, Brian, because we both uh, play golf. Dude lied to me. (laughs) That guy, Brian, that I've been playing golf with, that I met at the bar, like, uh, he lied. I found out he's a liar. You don't hear people talk about that very much. But you do hear them talk about romantic lying or, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, Yeah, I found out Sandy was lying to me. Sandy was lying to me. She told me she was going on a work trip. I used my tracker. I used my tracker and she went to a guy named Glenn's house. He lived two blocks away from me. That's way more common. Went to, it wasn't Glenn Danzig, I'll tell you that much. No, it was. Maybe it was. Sandy said she had a work meeting, and she had to stay late. I used my GPS tracker, and I found out she was at this, this famous singer's house. His name's Glenn. Did you say Glenn Danzig? Yeah, have you heard of him? I, I think... I like him more than you. I like him more than you. I like him more than you. Danzig makes it all all alright. Nah. Weird. Weird dialogue. Very weird dialogue there. Weird voices and weird dialogue. But it's, it's just it's funny to me, though, that that's how it works, where it's like people will let themselves get lied to and manipulated in romance because there is such a gamble to it. Because it is I get it like I'm not I'm not even really trashing why that happens. And you know, I'm not judging anybody for that, for getting sucked into that stuff, because like in romance, it does feel like there's this window of time where it's like, are you are you in? Are you going to put a, a, a wager down? Like, there is this window of time where you kind of have to do that. It's very difficult to date somebody for like four months without investing to some degree. I mean, it's in some ways, it's hard to do it for like two weeks. Hard to do it for two weeks. And so, like, there's this, what feels like a very, and maybe it's not as short as it feels. Maybe it is all in your head. And, and the fact that the other people put pressure on you. I mean, that's what I find with women is that it's like the amount of pressure they put on you in a short amount of time is unreal. It's just what they do. I'm not even criticizing it. It's just, it's been my experience. And if they don't do that, it's something even worse. Like, if a woman doesn't put pressure on me at all, it, it's almost worse in some way. It means, like, she's completely dead inside. So, it's just, just something I've observed, but, you know, the amount of pressure that can be put on you. So, it's like there's this, it is like this pressure to be like, well, are you in? You know, and I'm not even talking about, like, committing to a relationship. I'm just even talking about, like, investing, and so that, that's sort of like, I think that's one of the reasons. And it's not just, it's, it's definitely not just women who do it. It's just, I use that as, you know, this is my disclaimer, I guess, but it's just, that's my experience for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, cause I hear from women that I know, you know, they'll tell me about guys doing stuff like that. I know it happens. Of course it does. I just, uh, I've only dated women. So therefore that's all I know. But With women, I know they'll talk about guys like putting the same kind of pressure. So I know it happens. It's just something people do. But it is this weird form of gambling where it's like, are you going to put your money in? Are you going to put your chips in or not? I need to know. I need to know if you're going to put your chips in or not. I want to know so that I can decide whether to keep playing this game or not. Did you say game or not? (laughs) did you just say gamer not is that like, a, like an astronaut and a gamer is that like a gamer who's an astronaut yeah we're doing this thing we're sending all the gamers up into space i hear jeff bezos and uh elon musk are getting together and they're putting all their money together and they're gonna let they're gonna let the 10 best gamers go up to space and they're gonna be called gamer nuts Hey, you, you hear they they launched the gamer up into space, and you know what they're gonna do? You know what the gamer knots are gonna do? They're gonna play video games up in space, and we're gonna watch them play. It's you ever heard of Twitch? You ever heard of Twitch? We're sending a bunch of gamer knots up into space, and they're gonna play Twitch on a space station. And we're all going to watch it. And then afterwards, we're going to blow our brains out with a shotgun. We're going to make sure our heads are completely unrecognizable. Like, the only thing that's going to be left of us is just this fine mist that gets sucked into a big vacuum. There's not going to be nothing left of our heads, okay? Okay. So that's what we need to do. If we send Gamer Knots up into space and watch them play video games on Twitch in a space station, just hand me the shotgun. Hand me the Shakin. The Shogun? The Shakin. Mashugan? Mashuga? Mashugan. We're all gonna watch the gamers. Play video games on a space station. Stupid, stupid shit. I need to close this out. It's a good time to close it out when you start making up atonal jingles about gamer nuts. At least they have taste. That's what I'll say to gamers. At least gamers have taste. You know, at least... I'm pretty much. i at that point, pretty much, though, where I respect anybody who just has taste in something. Anybody who just simply has taste, whether I like it or not. Somebody who just listens to things, watches things, and reads things. Because they just genuinely like them. And they're not trying to force some narrative on it. And if you're going to put a narrative in what you do, give it some subtlety. Respect people's intelligence. Because I think, isn't that what it is? Isn't all this culture war shit that I'm talking about... You know, doesn't it really just come down to respecting someone's intelligence? Like when you when you go, oh, we're, we're having a, uh, we're going to have the all-night horror movie fest this year, but it's going to be all female directors. You're insulting people's intelligence. You're insulting women's intelligence. I really feel they are. And I know a lot of women agree with that. So who's making these decisions? Well, it's the zeitgeist, and it's been going on for a while, but just the longer it goes on, the more absurd and silly it is. And it again goes back with, like, you're insulting our intelligence. You're insulting everybody's intelligence when you force things in this way. Because there are a lot of different ways, whatever message you think you're sending, believe it or not, there's a lot of different ways to send it. There's a lot of different ways to, you know, plant it in, w- into another idea. Or actually, how about this? Make something genuinely interesting. There are a lot of ways to take an idea, ideas that I don't even agree with maybe, and make them interesting to me. And you know how I know that is because there's tons of things that I like that fit that exact description. There's tons of things I like that I don't agree with, but they're done in such a way that I still appreciate them. And even if I don't end up agreeing with whatever it is that's a part of that thing, isn't it better that I can appreciate something like that? Doesn't it actually help that idea more that I don't say, Oh, you know what? I can't even look at that because that's what happens when it's done so poorly. When it's being done the way that it's being done now, I won't even give it the time of day. And that's worse. That's worse for your cause. Because I'm not going to say, oh, I appreciate the execution even if I don't like the idea. I'm just going to say, I don't want anything to do with that. So even if I don't like the idea, but I appreciate the execution of something that actually gives the idea more power because I'm willing to say, you know what, at least it's coming from a pure place. At least they're not showing their hand. And that actually might make me appreciate the fact that they have that hand. And you know what? The kind of games I like to play are the games where I do appreciate somebody else's hand. I don't play cards, I don't play poker, but I have, I have, and when somebody has a really good deck, when somebody has a really good set of cards, whatever the phrase is, (laughs) and they lay it down, like even if they beat you, you appreciate that, like if somebody just had, like when somebody has a royal flush, like and they lay that down, you go, oh, You're disappointed that you lost, but there's something like awe-inspiring. Like when someone beats you with a good hand, you appreciate it. You're like, at least they beat me with a good hand. If somebody beats you with a shitty hand, well, you don't even really feel like you lost. Everybody just feels dirty. And it makes it even worse when they say, this is actually a good hand. And you go, no, not really. And I say, no, it is. No, it is. So if you're going to beat me, I want you to beat me with a good hand. But that also requires me to have a good hand. But unfortunately, we're at a stage where it doesn't seem like we're playing that exact game. And so I think instead, you just have to opt out. Just opt out of that game. Let shitty people beat each other with their shitty hands. And respect the royal flush. You know, respect when somebody just straight up beats you. It's sportsmanship. But more than anything, respect that other people have taste. And as a result, you can't beat somebody who has taste. You can't change somebody's taste. If somebody truly has taste in something, you can't take that away from them. Nothing you can do can change their taste because that's what they like. So that can't be lost either. And people with taste know when something is cheap. They know when something is a knockoff. They know when something is trying to do something that it's not intended to do. Or that it's not good at. It's the good thing and the bad thing about having taste. It makes life hard in some ways. Because I mean sometimes somebody tries to be nice to you. Like every once in a blue moon someone will like send me some. They'll be like oh look. There's this couple who does like day of the dead goth doo I thought you'd like this. And I'm like, no. Nope. I don't I'm these people who are living and breathing the same air I'm breathing right now think it's a good idea to to wear like goth makeup and do like day of the dead dark doo wop. No. I don't care how good they are. I don't have that that's not okay with me. I don't like it. It's a novelty. People are just trying to be nice when they send something like that to you. But it's like, no, my taste is in the actual thing. I like doo-wop. That's not doo-wop. It might sound like it. Doesn't sound like it to me. Doesn't feel like it to me. And it's not a matter of whether I like it or not. Because there's there's real doo-wop from the 1950s and 60s. Real doo-wop. And I don't even like it. There's artists I don't like. There's songs I don't like. But I can tell you if it's real doo-wop or not. And when somebody's trying to do some retro, goth, Day of the Dead doo-wop as a couple, which is it makes it that much more disgusting that it's a couple doing it, a married couple too, no thanks. That's not real doo-wop. That's not what I like. I have taste. And that's the blessing and the curse, is just that having taste means... You don't have taste in a lot of things. It means you hate a lot of things because it's not what you like. But the nice thing about it is nobody can take it away from you. They can try to take away the things that you enjoy, but they can't take away that filter, that sense that you have. Whatever it is that makes you like that thing, they can't actually take that away. And it really does make me wonder sometimes whether some people even have that. My friends seem to think that this all-night horror movie with female directors, they seem to think it was coming from a place, you know, kind of like that, what I just described, where it's like somebody who doesn't actually have taste in something, who's using this as an opportunity to send a message, but the execution is poor, and a message falls flat... If the execution sucks, it's just how it works. So I would recommend that to anybody, not that anybody here needs to hear this, but you know, if you're trying to sell an idea, make sure the execution is good. If you think something is truly important, make the message almost a byproduct. Because if people like something enough, they will analyze it to the point where they eventually find that message. Like, look at the way that people analyze TV shows. I mean, you should have seen the way people were analyzing the new Sopranos movie on this forum I go to. They didn't even like it. These guys who didn't even like the new Sopranos movie were still like analyzing it and like reading into it and being like, well, maybe this meant this and this is a metaphor. But it's because there was enough there for them to do that. They love the Sopranos. They love the show. There was a foundation for them to do that. It means it was effective in some way, too. The fact that it caused them to kind of read into it in a way that they probably wouldn't have done for something else. Being able to make people do that, that will happen. Like, look at what people have done with Harry Potter and Star Wars. Look at what any fandom does. Look at what fans of a good novel do. They obsess over it and they analyze it and they dissect it. And they look for themes and meanings. Even when they're not there. Even when it's completely obnoxious academic bullshit. They're looking for things in there. So when you just make it blatant. When you say, oh you should watch these horror movies because they're made by a woman. If people actually liked these, they would get there on their own if this was important to people, they would find it on their own. And why would you wanna have shitty movies put to your name anyway? That's what I wonder. Like when someone curates something and it's shitty, and I have no investment in horror movies and can't speak for them or about them, but just, I'm thinking about anything I like. When I truly like something, I hate to curate a bad selection. That's hell. That's prison. If I feel like I've curated a bad selection of things, boom, boom, I want to jump out of a window. Like like back when I, I got to do another every night's a school night someday, I guess. But uh, doing an every night's a school night, they're not perfect. It's not like a perfect reflection of my taste or anything. But I want to feel afterwards like I did something that I curated a good selection of songs. Like writing these mafia articles in the last month, I want to feel like I curated, if nothing else, a collection of unique and interesting information. So the idea of curating something for some bogus socio-political reason that you can't even be proud of because the thing you curated sucks. The collection of things you curated suck. You're not going to feel good and nobody else is. Because I know how much it sucks to curate crap because I've done it. We've all done it. Back when you made like AOL hometown pages in like 1998 and you listed like your five favorite bands... A year later, I would look at that and be like, you listed crap. You listed crap. We do it our entire lives. Our entire lives, we're constantly curating a bunch of crap, and we know it. And I guess one of the ideas, you know, it's, it's one of the things that's actually attractive about materialism, is that you might reach a point where you realize you know what you like, you know how to find it, you know it when you find it. And if you want to curate it in some way, even for yourself, even if you want to make a playlist, even if you want to have like a a movie night, even if you're watching YouTube videos, doesn't matter what it is, you reach a point where you know what you like and you know when you like it and you can curate something that you're proud of. Is this pretentious? Maybe, but maybe I think it's more pretentious to curate something that you're not proud of because you have some ulterior motive. So don't curate crap. Hurts everybody. (laughs) This is how you be a curator. But no, I mean, it's it's one of those things that is a reflect, it's a reflection of people. Like when somebody just does nothing but curate crap, it's kind of a character judgment. It's you know what it's you know what that's kind of like. It's kind of like liars. I'm not saying they're liars themselves, but like it's almost like when you meet somebody and they're into a certain kind of music, or they like a certain band, and you're like, oh, whoa, that's cool, you like them. Like if you wait long enough, you'll see like you'll find out if they actually have good taste or shitty taste. That actually doesn't matter to me. Like, my relationships aren't based on somebody's taste in music. They really aren't. They are if if our common, they are if I'm like collaborating with them or something. But for the most part, like in terms of just making friends with somebody, I couldn't care less what they like or don't like as long as they don't care what I like or don't like. You know what I mean? But it is almost like liars, and people lie about what they like all the time. And sometimes you'll meet somebody and they say they like something and you're kind of like, oh, interesting. That's cool that you like that. And then you just give them enough time, though. And, like, if they're lying about it, it'll come out. Like, Or if they're, if they're full of shit, if they're pretending to be something they're not, that's what this all comes back down to. Like, if somebody is pretending to be something they're not or do something that's not true to them, if you just don't commit to it and watch them, they eventually kind of wig out. Unless they're really, really good at it. Unless they're professional, in which case they're they're something else entirely. In which case they should just go run for politics, run for office. But with most people, if you just give them enough time and space, if you think anything's off about them, you'll eventually see it. They'll eventually wig out. They'll eventually say something that reveals it. They'll eventually show their shitty hand. Because that's kind of what it's like. When you meet somebody or somebody's doing something, it's almost like they have their cards up and you're like, huh, this is interesting. This person is wagering this. And then you don't wager right away. You wait and say, you know, what? I don't know if I'm going to play the game with this person. And then eventually they they can't help it. They'll eventually show their cards. They'll eventually, they'll either stop playing themselves when they realize you're not going to play with them. Or they eventually show their cards, and you'll find out exactly what they had all along. And you can go, I knew it. I knew it. Or you'll be pleasantly surprised, too. I mean, that's happened to me with people. I mean, there have certainly been people that I just haven't been sure about. Or things. I mean, it's not necessarily a person. It could be something, an interest... And I'm just like, I'm not entirely sure about that person or that thing, whatever it is. And then enough time passes. And then I, I realize, you know what? This thing is actually very consistent and enjoyable. And I like it or I like them. So that happens too. It's not all bad. It's not all just like like waiting for liars to expose themselves. Good people expose themselves too. And sometimes they do it gradually. Sometimes good people don't play all their cards out right away either, you know? Sometimes a good person is waiting for the right time to to let you know.